Hey, what's up, guys? We are so excited that you were joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can connect and engage with other Grace members around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. I am blessed. I am forgiven. I am chosen. I am a member of God's family. I am a Dave. I am alive in Christ. I am holy. I am adopted. I am included. I am born on purpose with a purpose. I am a minister. I am a warrior. Now, if you brought a Bible with you, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters that he wrote. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians for the past three weeks, really, and so today we're going to dive into a message that I am calling, I am one. Ever say, I am one. How many of you have ever heard of the name John Newton? John Newton, by his own admission, was a racist. At one point in his life, uh, he even sold uh, Africans in the human slave trade uh, more than a century ago. But he was reading a book called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis. He became convicted, gave his life to Jesus, and his life radically changed. He became a minister. He wanted to contribute to the family of God in some way, so he wrote 300 hymns. Anybody remember what those are? We actually sang one today. Come on, somebody. That was awesome, right? 300 hymns. And probably his most famous hymn is what we would call the American hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, we don't like to call ourselves wretches, but how many know in the midst of the grace of God, that's what God saved us from. And on his deathbed, here's what he wrote. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. Anybody want to testify here today? You know, when it comes down to it, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great savior. Prejudice is part of humanity's story. Did you know that being prejudiced has always been part of our history? It's always existed. If you go to Northern Ireland, there's prejudice between Catholics and Protestants, yet both call themselves Christians. In the Middle East, Sunni Muslims are prejudiced against Shia Muslims. Uh, Arabs and Israelis, uh, there are tension between them. In Syria, the Kurds and the Druze and the Yazidis are all prejudiced against one another. In Australia, you have the Australians and the Aborigines. There's prejudice. In South Africa, you have apartheid. In America, we had a civil war. 
In Rwanda, tribal feuds between the Hutus and the Tutsis created a racial war that almost destroyed their entire country and, and killed millions of people. Now, why am I bringing that up? Because it was no different when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. He was writing to a culture that was torn apart by cultural and national and racial instability. Romans looked down on anybody who wasn't a Roman. Greeks looked down on anybody who didn't speak Greek. As a matter of fact, the Greeks treated other people who didn't speak Greek as barbarians. The Jews looked down on anybody who wasn't a Jew. And in the middle of all of this, the church of Jesus Christ is born in Ephesus. And in the Ephesians church, there was Romans and Greeks and Jews. There were male and female. There were slave owners and slaves. There were rich and poor and, 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 and. So Paul preaches the gospel of Jesus, which doesn't say, let's celebrate the different cultures. No, he says, let's eliminate the boundaries that separate us and become a whole new community, a whole new group, a whole new identity. Remember, the theme of Ephesians is all about our identity. The words in Christ is found 37 times. So Paul is teaching them, don't find your identity in your race in your social status or your economic status, find your identity in Jesus. You know, during our six-week break, Tracy and I were able to travel to the West Coast and we were able to travel to the East Coast. We were in Los Angeles, we were in Boston. And can I tell you, there are lots of diversity in both of those cities. Um, there are literally people from all over the world. When you're in the airports, there are multiple languages being spoken and so uh, I think Ephesus would have been a lot like that, a large city with a lot of diversity. And so we shouldn't be surprised that one of the major themes in the book of Ephesians is unity. Paul addresses the topic of unity in almost every chapter of the book of Ephesians. It's a big part of what he's trying to say. And if I were to give you a big idea for today's message, it's really Paul's message to the Ephesians church is that through the cross, I am one with God and one with other believers. I want to say that again. Through the cross, I am one with God and I am one with other believers. So unity is this significant theme of the book of Ephesians. And so he starts out in chapter one, he says, Jesus made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring what? To bring unity in all things, in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's plan is to bring everybody together. God's plan is to bring everything together to unity under heaven. That's God's plan. And then he, he jumps into chapter 2, and he goes into more detail. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Is that okay? Okay. He says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. Now, it's important to, uh, Paul's using this on purpose because the Jews would use derogatory terms towards Gentiles saying, you uncircumcised people. 
So this was like a derogatory. He's like, they call you uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, like they're better than you. That done in the body by the hands of men. Remember, at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. How many know this is really, really good news? Paul makes it very clear. He says, guys, you were outsiders, but now you're insiders because now you're in Christ. You are one with God. Now, let me dig into this for just a second, because how many know before we can have unity with other people, we got to have unity with God. Before I can have peace with other people, I need to have peace with God. Before I can be reconciled to my brother, I got to be reconciled to God. If there's going to be, if there's hostility between us and God, there's going to be hostility between us and our neighbor. I'm preaching better than your amen. And so Paul takes some time here and he paints this really stark picture of what it's like to be outside of faith in Jesus Christ, to not be in Christ. And he says, you're separated from God. You're spiritually dead. You are under Satan's dominion. You are enslaved to sin, under condemnation. You're far away from God. You're a foreigner. You're a stranger. You're an alien. There's hostility between you and God. You don't have any hope, and you don't have God. Wow, that's not very nice. But how many know it's true? This is true of you if you don't have Jesus. This is true of everybody who is not following Jesus Christ. This is why we give an altar call every Sunday. This is why we invite our neighbors and our coworkers to church with us so they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why I pray for my lost friends and coworkers who don't know Jesus Christ because all of this is true with them. They are separated from God, spiritually dead, under Satan's dominion, enslaved to sin, under condemnation, far away from God. There's hostility between them and God. They don't have any hope because they don't have God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So how did God save us through all, from all of this? The cross. Through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, through the cross. And how many know the cross removes the hostility between me and God? The cross resurrects me from death to life. The cross breaks the power of Satan over me. The cross cancels the debt of sin that I have against God. The cross gives me hope. The cross gives me peace. The cross gives me God himself, and in God is every good thing. I'm trying to tell you today that the power of the gospel is in the power of the cross. I hope you didn't come here today uh, wanting to hear, well, I just need to hear something positive, Pastor. I just, I just need you to give me... No, I'm here to give you the greatest message of all time that Jesus Christ died for you and through the power of the cross you were dead but now you're alive you were a slave to sin but you're no longer a slave to sin you didn't even have any hope now you got all kinds of hope because of Jesus Christ and then he says it's by grace you've been saved through faith it's not 
anything that you did. It's a gift of God and nobody can boast about it. Listen, that's the grace of the cross, which is why John Newton wrote the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Let's keep going. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 3. This is the Passion Translation. Paul said, He ordained us as one with Christ from the beginning so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. Okay, I want you to lean in on this one because Paul is saying that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the cross, watch this, now when God sees you, he sees his son. Isn't that what it says? So that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unsustained innocence. Mind blown. Pastor, how can we confess all these things you've been talking about us being true in Jesus Christ? You know, I'm blessed and, and I'm chosen and, and I'm redeemed. And how can we say all those things? Because all those things are true of Jesus. And through the cross, I am now one with Jesus. And now when God sees me, he sees his son, Jesus. Um, you could spend hours, days, weeks, months thinking about this, digging into this. It will blow your mind. Are you telling me, Pastor, that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ through the cross, that I am now one with Jesus? No, I didn't say it. That's what Paul said. And that's so powerful. Because of Jesus, Ephesians 3.12, in him... And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, let's use your imagination for a second. You had an extra hour of sleep, so your imagination should be ready to go. Let's go back in time about 3,400 years ago. The children of Israel are in the wilderness. And remember, they're going through the wilderness, and they have this place of worship called the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is this courtyard, and inside this courtyard is this, these tent structures. So imagine you are not an Israelite. Let's say you're a Moabite, and here comes these wanderers through your country, and they've, they've camped there in the plain below you, and here you are, a Moabite, looking down on this sea of people where there's, in this tent structure, above this tent structure, is this cloud of smoke. And then there's fire by night. And remember, the Moabites would have heard about the amazing things that God had done at Jericho and all of the miracles that God had done for the people of Israel. So perhaps one of the Moabites comes down And he comes to the uh, camp, to the door of the tabernacle, and he says to one of the Israelites, hey, can I go in there to the tabernacle? That looks really cool in there. Uh, The Israelite would say, well, sure, any Israelite can go in there. Uh, The Moabite would say, but I'm not an Israelite, I'm a Moabite. Well, then you can't go in there. What do I have to do to go in there? Well, the Israelite would say, well, you'd have to go back, be born in Israel to go in there. So the Moabite would hang his head. So the Moabite kept looking at the tabernacle, and he watched, and he noticed that there was a priest who was making sacrifices. And then he would wash his hands. He would raise his hands, 
uh, and then go into this room. The Moabite might say to the Israelite, hey, where did he go? What's in that little room? The Israelite would say, well, you know, we call that place the holy place. There's a table of bread on it. There's a golden lampstand. And so the priest goes in there. He trims the lamp. He changes the bread. And he burns incense to God uh, on behalf of the congregation. It's like the prayers of the congregation. The Moabite uh, could have said, you know, I wish I'd been born an Israelite because I'd love to go in that room. The Israelite would say, well, you know, uh, not all Israelites can go in that room. You have to be an Israelite of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron. Only priests can go in that room. So the Moabite would hang his head again. What else is in that room? The Israelite might say, well, you know, I've been told there's this beautiful veil that separates that room from another room called the most holy place. It's called the Holy of Holies. And in that room, there is this chest. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. And that's actually where God lives. This is where God dwells. It's the very presence of God in that room. And above that room is where you see the smoke that rises and the, and, and the fire at night. It's the Shekinah glory of God. The Moabite would say, well, I wish I was born an Israelite of the tribe of Israel, of the, fam- of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron. I would go in that room and I would hang out with God. And the Israelite would say, well, not just any priest can go in that room. Only the high priest can go in that room. And the Moabite would hang his head again. The Moabite might have said, you know, I wish I would have been born an Israelite of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron, and a high priest, because I would love to go in that room. And if I could go in that room, I'd go there every single day. As a matter of fact, I'd go there three times a day just to be near to God. Are you serious? Being in the presence of God. And the Israelite would say, well, you know, you couldn't do that because only the high priest can go in that room once a year. And even then for a very short amount of time, lest he die. You can imagine at that time, the Moabite finally gave up and realized, I have no hope of being in the presence of God. And in this context, Paul says in Ephesians, He himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. What Paul is saying that because of Jesus and because of the cross, there are no more barriers. Jesus broke down all the walls. So everybody can come. Israelites can come. And Moabites can come, and Americans can come, and Russians can come, and, 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 and Spaniards can come. Every, tall people can come, and short people can come. Rich people can come, and poor people can come. If your hair's long or if it's short. If you have tattoos or if you just have wrinkles. Can I tell you, none of that matters anymore because in Christ and through Jesus Christ, I am one with Jesus Christ. That's good news. Let me just remind you the type of church you're in. We are a Bible-believing church. We actually believe this is true, which means it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Everybody's welcome at the foot of the cross in this house of God. If you believe that, say amen. 
Now, here's what's so awesome, because when I am one with God, that makes me one with other believers. If we're one with Christ, then we're one with one another. Now, we're going to dig really deep here, so again, if you would lean in, I would appreciate it. But remember, the church of Ephesus was established, we read about it in Acts chapter 19 and 20. And remember, as it was Paul's practice, the very first thing he would do when he would go to a new city, he would go to the synagogue first, to the Jew first to preach about Jesus. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish people who are hearing the gospel of Jesus for the first time. Because this message that Paul is preaching to them about being one in Christ and one with one another would have been revolutionary. Because there was so much division in the hearts of Jewish people toward Gentile people. 2,000 years ago, Jews believed that there was only one reason that God created non-Jews. To make hell hotter. Literally, they said to kindle. Gentiles were created by God to kindle or stoke the fires of hell. So like we would add logs uh, to a fire to keep it going. The Jews believed that God created Gentiles just to keep the fire of hell going. Strict Jews wouldn't even walk down the street if a Gentile was coming in the other direction. He would turn around and take a different route. Thousands of years ago, it wasn't even lawful for a Jew to help a Gentile woman if she was pregnant in her hour of delivery, because if they did, they would be guilty of bringing another Gentile into the world. If a Jewish girl got married to a Gentile boy, oftentimes the family would have a funeral on the same day as her wedding. You no longer exist. You're no longer alive. So into this prejudiced, divided world, Paul brings this amazing message to the Ephesians and to all churches through the gospel. Remember, the gospel is the blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the cross of Jesus Christ. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, if you were a Jew and you were hearing this message, you're like, what? We're one now? We're equal together through Jesus? That's what Paul was saying. Matter of fact, in another one of his letters, Paul puts it this way. There's neither Jew nor Greek. In Christ, there's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female for you are all. You guys having a hard time saying it today? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all sons of God through faith. We are all one in Christ Jesus. How did Jesus do this? He did it through the cross, right? He did it through the cross. So now there are no more divisions among us. There should be no more labels that divide us anymore because of the cross, because the same cross that connects me to God is the same cross that connects me to you. Hang with me. The same cross that reconciles me to God is the same cross that reconciles me to you. The same cross that gives me peace with God now gives me peace with you. Are you with me? 
Let's go back in time again, okay? Now let's go to the Old Testament temple. So for example, uh, the, 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 uh, the Juda- Judaism uh, is all about separation and exclusion, really. Uh, for example, if you were to go to an ancient Jewish synagogue, uh, you, would, you wouldn't be seated like you are here today. Everybody's just kind of all over the place. It would be the guys on one side and the ladies on another. So you were separated by gender. Also in a Jewish synagogue, there would be a special room for new converts to, to Judaism. Uh, we call those proselytes. So anybody who wasn't a Jew who wanted to follow Judaism had their own special room. Because you weren't born a Jew, but now you're a follower of Judaism. Kind of like a penalty box. <laughs> right? Well, and then we look at the Old Testament temple. Uh, if you went to the Old Testament temple, there are, there are various... Uh, I, I've been to the Temple Mount in Israel. By the way, it's 35 acres. Three American football fields would fit on the top of the Temple Mount. It's huge. And so this, re, this drawing of what the temple would show, that it's up high. And so there were different levels of the temple. And so each one of these are different separations for different kinds of people. So uh, the temple, uh, there was a separate courtyard just for priests. And so they were closest to the holy place. And so the only people that could go into that courtyard were Jewish priests. Outside of that courtyard was the court of Israel, and only Jewish men could be in that court. Outside of that courtyard was the court of the women. Guess who could only go there? Jewish women. Then you would go down several steps to a lower level, and there's this wall that would separate you from everybody else. And on the other side of that wall was the court of the Gentiles. So the court of the Gentiles was so far away from the activity of the temple, it's kind of like the nosebleed seats in a stadium. I mean, you can see the game, but you better bring your binoculars. So they are far removed. And by the way, on the wall, there were these signs that said this. This is a picture of one of the actual signs that was recovered from the temple. It said, no foreigner may enter without the, bar- without the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That's way more serious than a beware of dog sign. <laughs> if you're a Gentile and you want to go any farther, you'll die. Remember that when Paul says to the Ephesians, Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God. How did he do it? Through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have, what's this word? Access. No more walls. No more courtyards. No more, you're over here and you're over here. This group over here, no, through Jesus, through the cross, all the hostility is gone, all the walls are torn down, and we are now one in Christ Jesus. 
I'm preaching better than you're amen. And the Bible says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but now you're fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit and for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility because his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Watch this. Without the cross, the hostility between us remains. But with the cross... The hostility between us is gone. Can I start applying this now? Can we start talking about what this means to us in 2022 now? Have you noticed there is growing hostility in our culture? Seems like people are angry at each other about everything. There's a very, very real increase of road rage. I'm being serious. A couple months ago, I'm walking across the parking lot at Lowe's. Dude is backing out of his spot, literally almost hit me. I turn around just to look who was driving, and out of the window comes you blankety blank, 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 blank. Whoa. I was traveling earlier this year and witnessed a, a very intense fight between a dude at an airline counter and the person who was trying to help him switch his flight. We now have scuffles that turn into gunfights. What is going on? But it's not just the world. How many know there's a hostility between friends, between families? It's not just politics and vaccines. People are easily offended. What's going on? Can I tell you that part of what's going on is that the spirit of Antichrist is growing in the world as we prepare for the return of Jesus Christ and the unveiling of the person of the Antichrist. His spirit is already in the world, and it is a spirit of hostility. It's a spirit of violence. It's a spirit of division. But perhaps... The reason there's hostility between us, even as believers, is because we've taken our eyes off the cross. Because without the cross, hostility will be between us. But when we're connected to the cross, when we're focused on the cross... When we stay close to the cross, I'm going to see other people through the eyes of the cross. And the result is going to be unity. Not because we're alike, not because we have the same preferences, but because we are in Jesus. Because Jesus is what unifies us. Not my skin color, not my political affiliation, Not if I'm vaccinated or not, not about what I eat or what I don't eat, because the cross brings humility. 
The cross brings grace. The cross brings mercy. What reconciled me to God? The cross. What reconciles me to you? The cross. I've got some volunteers who are going to come up and help me if you guys would. Go ahead and come up. Because I think this is important for us to uh, understand what this looks like in the church of Jesus Christ. If we keep our eyes on the cross, that's what brings us together in Jesus Christ. And this is so important because when we are together uh, at the cross of Jesus, we are a reflection of the unity of God himself. We, when we are connected through the cross, when we keep our eyes on the cross together, our differences aren't what takes precedent. It's the grace of God that brings us together. And when we're together, we testify to a dying world that Jesus is alive and that the cross of God is very, very powerful. So watch this. Our goal as followers of Jesus is to stay connected to the cross. And when that happens, I see myself through the cross. And we've been learning about this for a few weeks now. In Jesus, I am blessed. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I am redeemed. Come on, somebody. But here's the deal. If I see that through the cross, then I see her through the cross. If I'm redeemed, you're redeemed too. If I'm a masterpiece created by the handiwork of God, wow, you are too. You know, if I, am, if I am chosen by God before the foundation of the world, Joseph, you are too. Do you see this? What I see is the grace of God in all of us. But something happens when we take our eyes off the cross. And we start looking around. And what we see, man, we're different, aren't we? What's this old guy doing here? A younger person might say, man, these old people, just, they just need to get out of the way and let us younger people do our thing. Forget about respect and honor. Their time has passed. They had their time. And older, without the cross, an older person might look at a younger person and say, man, they just need some wisdom. A bunch of millennials, whatever, you know, kind of thing. And we look down on them. Or if we look at somebody with a different skin color than us or a different background than us, what we focus on is our differences that divide us instead of the cross that unites us. Give it up for my volunteers today. Now, why is this a big deal? Paul describes why this is a big deal in chapter three. His intent was that now through the church, through the united church, united around the cross of Jesus, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Pay attention. When we are united at the cross of Jesus, it does something in the spiritual realm. You know that part of the world that you and I can't see, angels and demons, all those things that are very, very real? The Bible says when we are united together at the cross, it has an effect on the spiritual realm. 
There is power when the church of Jesus Christ is unified. There is a power that is released that affects the heavenlies, that affects the spiritual realm that cannot happen when we are divided. But when we are bound together through the blood of Jesus, something begins to happen over this place. The heavens begin to open. Could it be revival? Could it be the power of God? Could it be the signs and wonders like, boy, I wish, I wish, I wish. Maybe this is the issue. Come on, somebody. We need the cross. Unity in the church has an effect on the spiritual realm. So if I can learn to keep my mouth shut instead of gossiping about other people, because Jesus opened not his mouth even though they were reviling him. If I can learn to take my complaint to the cross and look at the cross and look at Jesus instead of complaining to every person within earshot, come on somebody. If I can learn to take my hurts to God, if I can learn to lay it all down at the cross, I'm gonna find peace in my heart and reconciliation in my spirit. If I can learn to put my preferences down on my list of priorities and actually choose what is best for the church. Something powerful is gonna happen. Jesus said it in John chapter 13, love each other. Love the way I loved you. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Let's be honest. The world right now sees a divided church. And we get all up in arms about a lot of things. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. But I'm saying they bow to the priority of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is what brings us together and nothing, please let me say it as strongly as I can say it, absolutely nothing can come between us and the cross of Jesus Christ. So if I have conflict in my life with other people, if there is division in my house with other people, if I have separation in my life with other people, I've got to ask myself, have I taken my eyes off the cross? Can I do one more illustration? I think this applies to marriage too. Chase and Avery are going to come up and help me with this illustration. Chase and Avery got married this past summer. Give it up for the newlyweds. Let me show you something, because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, the proclamation that all uh, Jewish people made in the Old Testament, here or Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's called the Shema, all right? So this is the, pro the God is one. The Trinity of God is one in essence, one in nature. God is not a, a democracy of three people. Holy Spirit, God the Father, outvoted Jesus. Never happens. One in Christ Jesus. Paul in Ephesians quotes Genesis and Jesus when he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, is the same Hebrew word as Genesis when God said, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they shall become same word. What I'm trying to tell you is that marriage was created by God for a reason. 
Now, let me pause for a second. Some of you think that God created marriage just to make you happy. Now, the, here, let, me, let, me be, let me be clear. Marriage is awesome. Marriage is amazing. Marriage is one of the best ideas that God ever created. But the reality is marriage is hard. It's okay to nod your head, Chase. We all know this. And the reason it's hard, think about the traditional vows that we used to say, it should not be entered into lightly. And the reason is because marriage is a picture of the cross of Jesus. Watch this. God didn't create marriage to make you happy. God created marriage so that we could be more like Jesus. There's no greater way to be like Jesus than to lay your life down for somebody else, which is what marriage is all about. And the only way two people can become one flesh is for both of them to die. I like to tell the people that I do premarital counsel with, we talked about this when we did premarital counseling, there's a reason why they call it going to the altar. Altars are where things go to die. And usually, you know, people get married like, I've never heard this before. But the reality is when we come to the cross as believers in Jesus, we die to self so that there can be one flesh. And when there's one flesh, how many know that's beautiful? That's awesome. And that's a testimony to the world of the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. How many are with me? Now, here's the problem. Statistically, most people marry their opposite. A spender marries a saver. I don't remember what you guys were, so I'm not pointing you out. Okay? A night owl marries a morning person. A sports nut marries a Hallmark girl. It happens. It doesn't always happen, and it's not always true, but more often than not, statistically, this happens. Which begs the question, what was God thinking? To put within us this attraction to the person, not only the opposite gender, which are way different, but they're almost opposite in every way. Why did God do that? Because the purpose of marriage is death. To self. If you've got complications in your marriage right now, that's pretty normal because marriage is a really a fight to the death. Yours at the cross of Jesus. And when you guys learn, when a married couple learns to submit themselves to Jesus, we're going to talk about this when and Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter five. It is so much easier to lay your lives down for one another. Give it up for Chase and Avery today. Out of death comes life. Why do we have conflict, by the way? James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but don't have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. The reason we struggle, the reason we fight, the reason we're divided, the reason we have these issues is because there is this self involved and at the cross, selfishness dies. At the cross, the spirit of control dies. At the cross, quarreling dies. At the cross, forgiveness lives. At the cross, 
grace that was received is freely given. I think this is why Jesus created the practice of communion. Because we tend to forget this, don't we? The purpose of communion is for us to take time often to examine my relationship with God first and then examine my relationship with everybody else. Because the cross, the blood of Jesus, makes me one with God. It also makes me one with one another. And I'm going to say something pretty strong. I didn't say it to the 9 o'clock service. They probably didn't have the spiritual maturity to handle it. I'm not sure. This is going to be, you're going to have to chew on this one. If there is hostility between you and somebody else, there's a problem between you and God. But pastor, it's not my fault. I didn't, no, no, listen. We have to do everything within our power to make things right, keep things right with God and with one another. So we always examine our relationship with God first. How's it going with me and Jesus? Is there anything in my heart that's not pleasing to God? Is there anything between me and the cross? Because if there's anything between me and the cross, I got to get rid of that. That's called repentance. So before we receive this bread and this cup, would you take a moment right where you're at? If you're watching online, take a moment and just say, Holy Spirit, examine my relationship with God. See if there's anything between you and me. Search me, oh God, David prayed. Search my heart. If there's anything between me and you, I want you to point it out. And then right now, I want you to begin to confess it to the Lord before we receive communion. Lord, I, I confess pride. I confess Lying. I confess cheating. I confess laziness. I confess anger. I confess hatred. I confess unforgiveness. Come on, do business with God right now. This is the power of the cross right here. Change begins to happen right now when you get real and you get honest with God. I confess it. I'm sorry. Jesus died so that I could be one with him. I don't want anything to separate me from God. If you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus, you're far from God. What an amazing grace that God says, I tore the veil so that you could, you could come in. You're welcome. If you're not following Jesus right now and you realize today is the best day to do just that, I want to follow Jesus, Pastor. I want to follow Jesus. Pray this way. Jesus. Come on, pray it out loud. Jesus, thank you for the cross. You made a way for me to get to the Father. I'm grateful for your grace. What a gift. Because I did sin. And I am sorry. 
And from this day forward, you're my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. What an amazing gift. What an amazing thing. You now have access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And now, because you're one with God, guess what? We're one with one another. We're a family. We're no longer foreigners. We're not strangers. We are fellow citizens of the household of faith. Come on, somebody. And guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? It's not just this church. It's all believers throughout the whole world. Anybody who believes in the cross, they're my brother. They're my sister. They're my family. Hey, they may not vote like me. They may or may not be vaccinated. They may or may not believe like me about a bunch of things. But if they believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world for their sin, then they're part of the family of God. And all of those things are ancillary compared to the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ. If the American church could just get this, we would come together and supernatural things would begin to happen in the people of God and in the house of God. So guess what? We got to take communion. Say, Lord, examine my heart. There's anything between me and you. And then if there's anything between me and somebody else, come on, do business with God. If there's anything between me and somebody else, forgive me, God. You gave me mercy, help me to show them mercy. You gave me grace, help me to show them grace. Lord, it wasn't fair what they did to you. It's not fair what they did to me, but I forgive them because of Jesus, because of the cross. Take that bread in your hand, receive it together in recognition and remembrance of the grace of God and the kindness of God through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on the cross. Let's sing that chorus together as we take both the bread and the cup together. Go ahead and receive that cup in thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Where your blood was shed for me, there's no greater love than this. For you have overcome the grave. Your glory fills the highest place. What can separate me now? Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to the Grace Assembly of God podcast so you're up to date on all sermons. Also, if you want more Grace content, make sure you subscribe to the Deeper Grace podcast, where Pastor Wayne will dive deeper into his most recent message. Have a great week and God bless.